Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Pastor Eric Capelli. Well, this morning we're going to get right into the Word of God. We don't have a sermon series. It is just a sermon to throw this out there. But something that I believe is essentially important. The last few months, we've been taking you along with a lot of different concepts and ideas and plans and visions for the future. But as I've been praying and fasting for Bethel, I am someone who loves action. Like we say, we're going to do A, we're going to do A. But one thing that I've realized along the way is I can want to do A. I can tell you guys about A. But if our hearts are not in the right place, we can fulfill those dreams and visions and we can get it all wrong. There are ministers, there are churches, there are organizations, there are people, not only in the United States, but across the world, who have built, quote unquote, great things for God, but their heart was not in the right place. They started with the right intentions, but along the way, they lost their way. And the greatest thing that God desires is to do a heart checkup on his people, the Word of God shows us from beginning to end that the condition of the human heart is of utmost importance to God. We can build edifices that reach to the sky. We can build churches that exist for a thousand years. While we were on vacation, we went to a church that was built a thousand years ago. Can you imagine that? It still stands there, but that does not matter to God. What matters to him is the condition of your heart. And so today, as I speak about the heart condition, I want to bring you along in what I term the vision for the human heart. As Bethel, New England, we can long to expand, we can plant a campus, we can revamp the gymnasium into a sanctuary, we can start all kinds of ministries, but it all means nothing if the human heart is not lined up with God in the way that it needs to be. And so this morning, I want to bring us in to God's vision for the human heart and how we scripturally need to get back to him as our first love. Can I get an amen on that one? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you are not done with us as human beings, but your desire is that we would love you. Lord, your love is too pure to force that love. You simply beckon, plead, and you've offered your one and only son, Jesus. And you cry out by the still voice of the Holy Spirit to return to you, to come to you, to give our hearts to you. I pray that you would speak through the words of this message today and that we would leave here changed, not on the outside, but on the inside first. Change our hearts, God. Only you can do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus himself echoed these words when Jesus came, they had asked him, what are you doing? Are you here to abolish the law? And Jesus said, no, I have come to fulfill the law. And when Paul began to preach the message of Jesus, even into the Roman Empire, he echoed the very heart of the law of God, which is the Torah from the Old Testament, which can be found in the very summation of Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 38. See, a religious man, one of the Pharisees who knew the scriptures from back to front, 
who was supposed to realize that Jesus was the Messiah, he approached him trying to trap him. What command is the greatest of all the commands? And see, there are many religious people. But what we have to be weary of in the day in which we live is that the scripture shows us clearly that in the end times, people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. Come on, church. And we need to wake up We need to be alert and we need to let our hearts get into the right place. And so when Jesus responded to this learned man, he said to them, he said the following. He said, the greatest command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. Oftentimes when we grow up in religious circles and churches, we hear a lot of what we're not supposed to do. Don't steal, don't lie, don't have sex before marriage, don't cheat on your partner, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't talk too much, don't talk too little, praise a little bit more. But this command is not a do not command. This command to love the Lord your God with everything in you, and I could do a whole exhaustive study in the Hebrew language for you this morning, but in all reality, what the scripture is saying is loving God with everything inside of you. It is the most important thing that there is. And when you fulfill this law, you have fulfilled everything that Jesus came to give his life for. The heart of the matter is loving God with everything inside of you. See, when you love him, you don't wanna sin. When you love him, it's easy to worship him. When you love him, it doesn't matter if the devil's coming in to attack you on every side because no one and nothing can separate you from that love that's found in Christ Jesus. See, when you know that love, it keeps you, it sustains you, and it keeps you going no matter what. See, as Christians, we can get tired, we can get weary, and sometimes, and I've just grown up with people like this my whole life, down in the dumps. Come on! Even on your worst day. Because the Bible doesn't say, as Christians, you're not gonna know bad days. Jesus actually promised that you would know bad days. But see, when you know that love that is found in Jesus, it gives you a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It keeps you going when you wanna quit, when you're getting lazy, it gets you off your keister. When you get tired and weary, it gives you strength to keep going. And as we're away on our vacation, I began to read the biography of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was known for bringing revival to a pre-America. So when we were the United Colonies of Britain, he was bringing revival to New England. But he knew the ups and downs of revival. He understood that revival had more to do with the human heart. See, the human heart is funny. We could be serving God one moment and the next moment we feel far away from him. We could be full of praise and worship and the next day we could be doing the most God-awful thing. And Edwards was aware of this ebb and flow and so when he preached revival, he focused on a very important aspect of God's character. Edwards said the following. He said, a true love for God must begin with a delight in his holiness. 
Come on, church. We hear a lot about the love and grace of God. Oh, love, love, love. We're coddling ourselves into the pit of hell. But the holiness of God. Serving a God who is not like us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And even when his word speaks against us, we are still called to obedience in him. Because true love obeys. True love follows what God is saying. And so Edwards knew that in order to have revival fires burning in our heart and get beyond Edwards, Jesus knew that holiness was necessary. Before Jesus even came on the scene, John the Baptist was crying out in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He knew that holiness needed to sweep over the people of God. And so Edwards, as he said, delight in his holiness and not with delight in any other attribute for no other attribute is truly lovely without this. You cannot know the God of the Bible, you cannot know Jesus Christ, and you cannot know the Holy Spirit until you genuinely know and experience the holiness of God. In the modern church, in Europe, and in the Western world, we are embracing a gospel that is not the gospel anymore. It is a gospel that says, come to Christ as you are and stay as you are. No. That's not the gospel. The gospel is repent. If you are living in sin, if you are doing things that do not line up with the word of God, God gave his one and only son, Jesus, to free you from your sin, to free you from your way of living that did not line up with him. And all you need to do is come. All you need to do is come to him and know that he has salvation, deliverance, and healing for all that call upon his name. See, the power of the gospel is this, that God loves you too much to keep you the way that you are. His holiness is invasive. His holiness, sometimes it hurts. His holiness doesn't feel good. His holiness shows you that you are unholy and unworthy, but he gave Jesus. Jesus, that at that moment that you feel that you cannot do it, the grace of Jesus breaks through and it transforms you from the inside out. That is why this is a matter of the heart. People can act all religious. I've seen it my whole life. Pentecostal jig, I'm feeling Jesus on Sunday. Hallelujah. And Monday morning, you are just as big of a jerk as the next one. Friday afternoon, you're crankier than ever before. On Saturday, on your day of rest, that mouth gets going and you have gotten yourself into trouble all over again. In America, we have propagated a Christianity that only thrives on Sunday, but is dead by Monday morning. Church, we need the holiness of God. Come on. We need the holiness of God like never before. And so today, when I talk about the change of heart, one of the first things that we need is a repentant heart, a word that you don't hear that often in churches anymore, but the Bible says repent, 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 meaning if you are living in sin, if you know that you are not doing things that please God, if you are walking in the wrong direction, you need to beeline it, turn around, and get in the right direction. 
You cannot justify your sin in the presence of a holy God. All you can say is the famous Italian expression, mia culpa, I am guilty, guilty in the presence of a God who is holy. And people don't want that. Everyone is good. Oh, believe me, I grew up in an Italian-American environment. Everyone goes to heaven. Vito, Vinny, they can bomb cars, they can blow up people, and when they bury them, oh, thank the Lord, they're going to heaven. <laughs> we know that that's not what it's about. We know that the power of the gospel is transformational. It is not only lip service, it is the condition of the heart. We can deceive everyone, but we cannot deceive God. The psalm as David cries out in Psalm 24, verses four through five, he says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can come into his presence? He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Church, God wants to turn up the fire. God wants us to ascend the mountain of God. He wants us to come closer to his holiness. And I want to ask you, are you willing to want to come closer to his holiness? Are you willing to let go of you and grab on to what God has for you? If your hands are dirty this morning, are you willing to say, God, clean my hands? If your heart is not right with him, are you willing to say, God, change my heart? Change me deep within. Change the things about me me. I cannot change about myself. God wants his church to burn with passion for him. He doesn't want us just waiting it out until he returns like a bunch of lazy, tired, and burnt out Christians. He wants us to expect his coming with fire and vibrancy and vitality. Edward said the following, a man who knows that he lives in sin against God will not be inclined to come daily into the presence of God. See, Adam and Eve showed us from the very beginning that when they sinned, they hid from God. It is human nature within all of us that when we do what is wrong or displeasing, not only to God, but also to people in our lives, that we hide things from them. Come on. And every one of us is guilty. Every single one of us has done things that displease God. And even though we may have come to faith, been baptized and filled with the Spirit, there are things that creep into our life that if we do not manage them, if we do not bring them into the presence of Jesus and find true repentance, they will devour you. Come on, and do not let people lie to you. It's okay. Jesus said in the scripture, it is a little bit of leaven that destroys the bread. It's just that little bit. Every time we think that sin is just a little bitty thing, oh, it's my little thing. And one of the greatest faults of the gospel of our time is that we say sin is personal. No, sin is not only personal, it is communal. When you sin, it affects the community. Come on. We don't wanna hear those words anymore. Oh, it's my life, my sin, my savior. No, it is our sin and our savior and thank God that his blood is big enough and strong enough to cover the sin of all of our community. Don't run from him, run to him. 
He can handle you. He can clean up your mess. He's not afraid of your stinky diaper. You know, as parents sometimes, and this is what people think, you know, being a parent, they sometimes, if you don't have children or you forget what it's like to have children, you forget no one enjoys cleaning a stinky diaper. Even though you love your child, because sometimes the thought of changing some other kid that you don't know's diaper, you know when you like inwardly puke without the actual puke? Come on, you've been there before. I have that with snot. If I have to wipe it from someone's nose, I'm internally puking. And that is what our sin is like. It is a dirty diaper type thing. But because God in his lovingness, he reaches into the depths of our sin. Jesus came into the depths of our sin. He didn't succumb to it, but he overcame it. And God wants to clean us up from the inside out. He is not afraid of you. He doesn't run from you, but he runs to you. Because in his holiness, he wants to clean you up and shape you up for all that he desires. The next thing that he desires to do is to give us a renewed heart. In Psalm 51, verse 10, David cried out after committing adultery with Bathsheba and then deliberately placing her husband in the front lines to kill him in the army. David came to a deep sense of repentance and he cried out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, we oftentimes think in our sin that God is done with us, but that is the greatest lie that you can ever hear from the enemy. See, God is not done with you. God is never done with you. Until the day you breathe your last breath, he is not done with you. He has sent his spirit to convict us of sin and to show us that change is ultimately possible. And so if your heart has become hard, if you feel like you're not living the way that you should, don't stay in shame and guilt and condemnation. But like David, cry out to God. Tell him your sin. Confess it to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Edward said the following. The spirit of God is given to true saints to dwell in them as his proper lasting abode, to dwell in them and to influence their hearts as the principle of the new nature or as a divine supernatural spring of life and action. In the Pentecostal circles, we've got all kinds of people, you know, it's almost like they're trying to figure out if they want the Holy Spirit or not. And he's more than just outward manifestation. See, if the Holy Spirit was only about speaking in tongues and gifts, then he's a pretty superficial aspect of the Godhead. But the Holy Spirit, and the reason why we need the Holy Spirit more than ever before is that it is the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us that gives us passion, that gives us desire, that gives us the ability to serve God with everything inside of us. See, it's the Spirit of God that helps us when you're getting attacked on every side, it is the Holy Spirit that shows you that you are a victor. 
On your worst day, when you feel like a nothing, it is the Spirit of God that confirms deep inside of you that you are a child of God. It is the Spirit of God inside of you that allows you to know when your lazy butt can't get out of bed that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you. You have been given all that you need. All that you need. And so I want to ask you today, have you been asking daily, Lord, let me drink from your presence. Lord, let me drink from your presence. See, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, he needed to be in the presence of the Father and in the presence of the Holy Spirit multiple times per day. Wait. Fully God, fully man, second person of the Trinity needed to be in the presence of God in order to live out his mission. Yes, if Jesus needed to do that, who was without sin, how much more do you and I need it? We need the Holy Spirit. We should not be asking the question, is the Holy Spirit for me or not? You don't have another option as a believer. There are churches that lie. They lie to their people all. The baptism is not for now. Speaking in tongues is not for now. It is a bed of theological lies that is meant to keep you powerless as a believer. Jesus said, when I leave you, I am sending the Holy Spirit so that you will be able to overcome on your worst day when every trial and tribulation is trying to get you. Jesus said, peace I have and peace I give you. I have overcome the world. We need that power of the Spirit flowing in us like never before. And we need to be willing to admit it. I am powerless. As we sang this morning, my cup is empty. I have to tell you, honestly, I hated singing that. Like David said, Lord, my cup runneth over. But some of us have to admit, Lord, my cup is empty. And I need you to overflow. Overflow. Come on, church. Overflow. Begin to ask the Lord. Don't wait for me to finish a sermon. Begin to ask the Lord. Overflow. Overflow in my heart. Overflow in my life like never before. The next thing that's needed is a reconciled heart. I'll read briefly from the Message Bible just to translate and paraphrase quite a lot of verses. But he says in verse 16 through 21, as Paul writes to this fleshly but spiritual church in Corinth, he says, because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We look at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him in that way anymore. Now we look inside and we see that it is anyone united with the Messiah that gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone and the new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He is already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. 
so that we could be put right with God. Many of us try to fix the problems of our past and our present through our own efforts. But reconciliation, meaning you are experiencing God in your life, do you know what that means? When the power of God is working in your life, do you know that means you love God more than anything? I've heard Christians, the most bitter Christians that were nothing but religious, oh, I love God. No, you are a religious hypocrite. Come on. Religious hypocrite is what they've become. You know the rules and regulations, but your heart is far from him. Come on. And then there are people that think that all they need to do is praise God. Of course, when you come to church and you close your eyes and you don't have to look at everyone, the world seems good. Come on. When you're here and you're worshiping Jesus, all the world looks beautiful. But the reality of the gospel is that Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon, when people are annoying the crap out of you and you want to wring their necks, that is the true ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation causes you to not want to wrap your hands around someone's throat and lift them to God in worship. Come on. Let's get real, people. You and I, we live in a real world. Reconciliation meaning we live in good standing with God and with others. I, I don't know about you. I need God to help me do that. My human nature, I get annoyed. People pee me off like no one's business. Come on. Internally, I think sometimes when people do things, and once in a while it slips out that I call people idiots, which is not nice. That is my fleshly nature. My fleshly nature gets annoyed with people. And I need the presence of the Spirit to soften my heart in order to live in good standing with others. And really, things like COVID and all kinds of stuff, political stuff, church things, it is causing division among people. It's causing people to pick all kinds of sides and camps. And don't get me wrong, there are truths we need to stand for no matter what, but we do not need to become religious vigilantes in that. The love of God should grow stronger and deeper. And if people don't agree with you, Jesus said, love your enemies. It's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to get along with people who get along with your point of view. Love them, Jesus says. And love doesn't excuse people of their poor behavior, but it liberates you from your bitterness. Edward said the following, true virtue never appears so lovely as when it's most oppressed. And the divine excellency of real Christianity is never exhibited with such advantage as when under the greatest trials. So it is that true faith appears much more precious than gold and upon this account is found to be praise and honor worthy. Guys, when we are in a Christian group worshiping God and doing all kinds of Christian things that Christians like, it's easy to be a Christian. But the reality of the gospel message is living it out when no one else is. It is living it out in situations that are complicated and difficult. Paul even said it. He said, rejoice, have joy, even in the midst of your trials. Like, buddy, I don't know where you got your life membership, but I did not sign up to be joyful in the midst of my hardship. 
But this buddy that wrote a good deal of the New Testament told us that when Jesus is working actively by the Spirit in our life, we can have joy even in the midst of our hard times. We can have joy even when people are against us. We can have joy when it seems like all of the world around us is falling apart. And that joy is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we come out of that reconciliation, what it produces is genuine revival. The first steps that I named to you were just individual steps. But when we begin to take those steps of heart change together, God begins to transform our community. And Edward spoke of revival in New England. We New Englanders, we are a tough people. We know it already, and you can kind of tell it by the soil and by the weather. Our weather is as unpredictable as a teenager going through puberty. <laughs> Come on. Our soil is as rocky as a marriage that went wrong 20 years ago. It's a lot of work. New Englanders have forged their way through hard work and labor, and if people think we're cold, we're not cold. We're just watching you. We are not going to be your superficial friend. We know how it goes in other places in the United States. Oh, how are you? Bless your heart. You don't like me at all. In New England, we show you we don't like you from the beginning so that we can be your friend for 30 years after you've proven yourself. And when God began to work upon New England and breathe the power of his spirit, revival began to show itself. People were transformed from the inside out. The fires of God were blazing all over New England as God was bringing people back. And throughout the decades we have seen, moves of God happen over and over again. And I believe for Bethel, New England, God has been breathing upon us and he's gonna continue to do so. But he's not done with you yet. He's not done with us as a community. One thing that I want to make abundantly clear is that when revival comes, it is not a freak show. There are people that think that as the Spirit of God moves, this church needs to become Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Come on. When the Spirit of God is touching you, you should not be a kook. When the Spirit of God touches you, you should look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, and talk more like Jesus. See, because if we try to say that's the Spirit of God, our youth and our teenagers and people who are unsaved that are coming in, they're just looking at you like, what is wrong with all these nutbags? And churches have tried to kind of explain these things. No, no, no. See, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God moved, when they said these people look drunk, because they were speaking in other tongues. They weren't acting like they were at a bar, because that's what people try to say. No, they were not acting that way. They were speaking in other tongues. There was a divine miracle happening in that place. And Peter, because it was founded in the word of God, he said, these people are not drunk as you suppose. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he ministered to the crowd, and 3,000 people came to faith on that day. See, when the Spirit of God moves, it's not kooky, it's not weird. It leads to salvation, deliverance, 
deliverance and healing. And we need revival like this in New England like never before. That God loosens the chains of those that are bound. He heals bodies that are sick and those that are oppressed of the devil are set free. We don't need crazy anymore. We need God like never before. We need his presence like never before. We need thus saith the Lord to come out of this place like never before. We don't need weak prophecies. We don't need visions that can't be interpreted. We need the voice of God to resound. We need the scripture to be held in high regard like never before and say this is what the word of God says. Church, we need a move of God like never before. I can't breathe. I'm thankful for Pastor James who rounded off our life teachings, handling the book of Nehemiah, showing that in the midst of hardship with grit, determination, and a move of God's presence that God can transform a whole community. Nehemiah chapter nine, verses one through three brings us into a little window of this change. It says, on the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sin and the iniquities of their ancestors. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of their Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day, and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of their God. True revival is when we take the word of God it's truth. Many believers are influenced, and I, and I hate saying these things, but I see it. It's like, oh, what does this Christian radio say? What does this Christian programming say? What does this Christian speaker or this author? Their words are human words. Their words fail and falter. Even testimonies are beautiful of people, but there's only one testimony. It is the testimony of the word of God that never fails and it never falters. And that is why we need a rejuvenation and a revival of the word of God. Why? Because God's words are eternal. They never come back void. When God speaks it, he believes it, he does it, he accomplishes it, and the devil and all humanity can try to come up against it but they will never prevail because God's word always prevails. Come on, church. We need the word of God in us like never before. Many Christians, I'm tired, I'm under attack, my family's going through hardship, my marriage is difficult, my work is difficult. Some people, they're on repeat cycle for me. Repeat, and I don't wanna be mean, but really, if I don't tell you the truth, then I am not a good minister of the gospel that sometimes what you need is to get into the word of God. You need to get into that word daily, daily. Think of the number of minutes a day that you fill yourself with all kinds of garbage. Come on. And if you think news media isn't garbage, it is garbage. It is meant to sow fear. Even Christian channels that are out there, all they do all day long is sow fear, 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 fear. The word of God says 365 times, fear not, fear not, for I am with you. 
And when we get that word in us, it does something. That word of God, Jeremiah said, is like a fire shut up in my bones. And when we have the word of God that flows through us like never before, we will see a move of God like this nation has never seen before. Edward said, the spirit that operates in such a manner as to cause in men a greater regard to the holy scriptures and establishes them more in their truth and divinity is certainly the spirit of God. You cannot have revival without the scripture. I've talked to colleagues before. You know what they say? We had such a good worship service, we didn't even preach. You have done the word of God a disservice. Do you know what he says? He never says about worship, I put worship above my name. He says in the Psalms, I put my word above my name. You can feel in worship all kinds of things. It can give you goosebumps and heebie-jeebies, but it is the word of God that convicts the human heart. It is the word of God that ushers in the holiness and the authority of God. And as a church nationwide and as a church in the Western world, we need to repent of the diet of the word of God that has led us into malnourishment and spiritual depravity. Come on. And there are churches all over. They're just cutting apart the Bible. And I'm going to be very frank. Just coming back from our trip to Europe, we kind of always felt like with issues regarding LGBTQ+, and that agenda in Europe, because they dealt with it, it wasn't a big deal. No, even in Europe, it is becoming an issue that it's dividing churches. We had to encourage our friends who are former leaders in our church that now lead elsewhere. We said to them, stand on the principles of the word of God. I don't care what anyone says. We are all human beings that wrestle with sin, but the word of God never fails. If we just live according to our sinful habits and behaviors, the Bible says that leads to death. It leads to eternal death, but it says the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. The world needs Jesus. Our society needs Jesus. The people around us need Jesus. And let me be frank, the church in the United States needs Jesus again. And when we do these things, it leads to refreshing. We all grow weary and tired. Let's be realistic. Edward saw the ebb and flow of revival. People got tired. Leading moves of God, leading people to faith, discipling people, giving Bible studies, keeping going, 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 being. You get tired. In the book of Isaiah, it showed the people of Israel that even the youth grow weary and faint, but them that wait upon the Lord, they renew their strength. See, God will bring about revival, but one of the greatest faults of many revivals in our history is that the revival was moving and it was going, but as it was rounding off and leading into a new period, instead of seeking refreshment, people were seeking relaxation. God, we've seen it, you've done that, we're kinda used to people getting saved. I remember as God was moving in our church overseas, we were seeing tons of people get saved and baptized, and I had people that said to me, we're not showing up for church anymore, we're kinda tired of these baptisms. And don't be critical of them because you might be also guilty of the same things. May the grace of God, may his work within us never be something that we grow weary of. May the testimonies of the men that we heard today never be something that we are weary of. 
We should embrace those words. God is working. He is moving. He is doing something. And it is praiseworthy. We can talk for hours about things that are going wrong. But when we hear good news like the men shared today, we just kind of let that go in one ear and out the other. No, that should turn into a praise party for what God is doing. God, you are faithful. You are good. You are working. You are moving. You are faithful to your word. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, as Peter speaks to the crowd, he says to them on the day of Pentecost, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. God desires to continually pour out his presence. There is not a day and not an hour that he's trying to hold that back. See, in the Western world, we can walk up to a faucet and just open it up and get water. In other cultures, people have to walk. They've got to do work, and every day getting water is a part of their ritual. We have become lazy in America. We become complacent. We have all that we need. We've got Christian bookstores. We've got online sermons. We've got online worship. We've got everything we need. We've got churches galore in this country. And we have produced over the last 10 years some of the laziest, most apathetic believers we have ever seen in the history of the church. We have coddled you with consumerism. We've given you all that you wanted and all that you needed. And guess what we've produced? Fat sheep that cannot walk. Come on. I don't like the pastor, I don't like the church, I don't like the message, I don't like the youth group, I don't like the kids program. I don't. A bunch of opinionated, spoiled brats. Come on. There's no excitement about the word of God. There's no excitement about worship. We think we can criticize the songs and criticize who leads them. Oh, I like this worship leader better than that one. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Our consumerism has turned us into what we ought not to be. May our hearts truly become hungry for the things that matter. Edward said the following, there's an infinite fountain of light and knowledge that this light should shine forth in the beams of communicated knowledge and understanding. And there is an infinite fountain of holiness and moral excellence and beauty, and so it should flow out in communicated holiness. And that is there is an infinite fullness of joy and happiness so these should have an emanation and become a fountain flowing out in abundant streams as beams from the sun. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Come on, clap with me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. Let's give Jesus praise this morning. May we stand with one another as we conclude our service with communion. I'm going to ask for the people that are helping serve today if you could come and already start distributing the communion elements. I'll continue to lead you in this moment, but...
The true genuineness of this moment is twofold. We're gonna have communion with one another and then after that, these altars are open. I'm gonna kindly ask for the altar team to refrain from praying for anyone because I want us to learn to seek God at these altars in a new and different way. The Lord has provided rain like he did in the time of Ezra so that we have the time to not worry about what needs to come on the barbecue and worry about our hearts burning for him. This morning, as I talked about the holiness of God and the refreshing and the renewing, that refreshing and renewing is only possible through Jesus. I want us to realize that today. It is not your effort that is gonna get you there. It is Jesus. He paid the ultimate price. As we go into a celebration of Independence Day, we think of men and women throughout the course of our history that fought and gave their lives to free us. Recently, as a family, when we were on vacation, we went to the beach, one of the beaches or two of them of the D-Day invasions that freed Europe from the power of the Nazis and the tens of thousands of lives that were risked and given themselves for freedom. However, our freedom, our freedom to live in the presence of the Lord, our freedom to love God with everything in us, our freedom to receive his love came not with the price of a feudal human being. It came through the one and only Son of God who offered himself as an offering once and for all for you and I. And so he took his body and his body was beaten for us. The scripture says in Isaiah, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. You are healed. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, do you know that there's healing through the body of Jesus? Do you know that his body that was whipped and beaten for you, do you know that that's the real remedy for your sin? Do you know that that's the remedy for anything that ails you? And that might seem cliche, but I have come to learn through the course of life that there is power in what Jesus did for me on that cross. His body was beaten and whipped to bring you peace. May you find that peace deep within today. Thanks for listening to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. Make sure you share this message with a friend or family member to encourage them today. Head to BethelNE.com to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel New England.